In this morning, we are joined, as usual on Monday, by Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. As well as by Mark Mickelson, Chairman Asia CEO of IMA Asia. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. So welcome to the show, both of you. So let's start with OPEC and another cut that are being announced. So this is the second cut in the last seven months, and it seems as though they get, are very worried about the current prices. What are your thoughts on where this goes and whether they can finally start stabilising prices with these cuts? I think they've still got a problem. I mean, so much of it is, you know, part of the equation is obviously what the cartel produces, but the other half of it is what the global economy is doing. And, and obviously we've seen a very shaky uh, recovery in China, which will have a, a key element of that. And, and people are still worried about what's happening in the US. So, you know, they can cut production, but it's not necessarily going to stabilise the prices if the global economy keeps slowing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, our members of the of the Asia CEO Forum think the same. They don't talk much about about oil prices now. They might soon, and of course, that's al always a danger. But it's just what Andrew said. The economy has slowed down in some cases. China, although still very important for these for these companies, is not what it seemed to be. They're more worried about other short term issues than. Uh, than the price of oil. Maybe they shouldn't be, and maybe they, they're going to have to be more more concerned in the future. But for now, they're really focusing on trying to uh, trying to find ways to uh, to make money when the economy is not nearly as strong as they'd hoped it would be. Yeah, I mean, oil was largely blamed for a big part of why the inflation happened over last year. That's come right back down, but we're not necessarily seeing the inflation numbers down. So for me, where does that start coming through? Where do the oil prices coming down start kicking uh, having an effect on the inflation and other matters? I think that's tricky because I think, you know, the, the, the reality is that, uh, you know, the US has got inflation and it started to get embedded into wages rather than necessarily other costs. We've seen those costs coming down, but people's worry about inflation and therefore their expectations are probably what's driving a lot of the inflation at the moment. Um, and the other thing is, you know, last year uh, people were more interested in whether they could get chips for... W any part of their production rather than you know, the necessity about oil. I think the, uh, the prominence of oil in, in people's thinking, as we've said earlier, is, has dropped significantly and people are looking far more at tech and, and wages as being drivers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only ships, uh, not, not only chips, but uh, containers as well and, and other things that were really a worry about that. Inflation, uh, obviously, it varies in Asia in terms of what kind of impact it's had. And, and it's not as nearly as, uh, as much of an issue in, in some places as in others. But even in the U.S., where it is eased to some extent, including in, in gasoline prices, that's made a little difference, but it hasn't made much a political difference because when people are asked what are what's one of their key issues, it's always inflation still. So the worry is still there. It always baffles me how everywhere else we see the oil prices come down, but in Hong Kong, you still look at Shell and Mobile. <laughs> Those prices are still crazy. Uh, so let's move on um, and let's talk about what everybody's been focusing on for the last month, and that's the US debt ceiling. Um, we finally got resolution. President Biden finally signed it off over the weekend. Um, finally, we don't have to think about it. But um, what are the actual costs uh, for the agreement? I mean, everyone's talked about the positivity. We're seeing the positive reaction in the markets. But there's got to be a cost to what's gone on. I think you've certainly seen 
uh, to an element, the, uh, it, it, it became a very political issue rather than a, a practical one at the end of the day. Uh, I don't think anybody really expected them to default. Um, none of the politicians would want to be held responsible for the US losing its credit rating uh, in the year before an election. So it, it really was a little bit of a, a non-event. But short time wise, one of the costs is going to be the fact that the Fed now needs to, to refill its coppers. So, you know, there's going to be a, an impact onto the, the pricing uh, of money in the short term. Yeah, ab ab that's I agree with that. Uh, you know, first of all, it was significant, right? global investors, world economy, because one of the biggest sources of uncertainty. And there were some worries because the situa political situation in the U.S. is different than it was 10 years ago, for example, or so, because the polarization has increased. There are clearly a lot of members of Congress who wanted to push it to the brink, and they were held back, but not by a lot. It was still pretty close, but still an achievement. But at the same time, credibility is an issue going forward. Is this going to happen again? We're having an election in the U.S. next year. I'm afraid everyone knows. Uh, things could change very quickly globally and domestically. And, you know, as, every, as many other places try to find alternatives to the U.S. dollar, uh, this is probably going to fuel and, and enforce that, those efforts. Do you think those polarizations are going to continue to increase and therefore we're going to have bigger problems down the line? I, I think that I think they're I think certainly from the U.S. standpoint, I think that's certainly true. And unfortunately, the economy is is not at the, a top priority. The domestic economy is, but the international economy might not be a pri top priority politically uh, in the United States for for many voters or for for many politicians. So there could be missteps. And then you know, we talk about missteps in terms of geopolitics. Here's another, here are another area where that could happen, and that's what would worry me the most. What about you, Andrew? How worried are you about the states going forward? Well, I think I think he's right. I mean, the fact that Biden had to miss out on on part of his Asia tour because of this incident just kind of shows you the fact that you know a lot of countries are going to be concerned about what happens in America because it has it does interact with what happens globally, um, and. We historically we look at the U.S. to be a, a leader in a lot of these things, uh, and the forum for discussion of a lot of these things. Um, so, if they get distracted by their own internal affairs, then that's going to obviously hurt the global economy. Yeah, I mean, I think the U.S. dollar still is the key global currency, and you, there is a lot of reliance on the U.S. And, and everything's pointing toward. <laughs> for a lot of different issues, toward the APEC meeting in the U.S. at the end of November. And when the, you know, the, from a political standpoint, from an economic standpoint, I don't know if that'll settle anything, but certainly will give some signals, and we might see some before that. But that's what a lot of the preparation is these days uh, in terms of what policymakers are thinking. And then, well, so while we're on the topic of the U.S., I mean, obviously the jobs numbers were a bit mixed uh, over on Friday, but it was actually positive mix, if that makes any sense. Um, whereas you've got good payroll growth, but at the same time, the average hourly wage slowed down a little bit, uh, or the growth on that, and then the unemployment was up. So that seems to be potentially easing inflation and providing another boon to the markets. Um, again, is this a one-off, or is this now something that we'd expect where things wage prices will stabilise? Well, I think the US, you know, you've still got a very strong labour market there, and it was interesting that they actually revised up the previous two months as well, um, and it was a very broad... Um, 
gain in jobs across most sectors. So, you know, there's, there's still great strength there in the, uh, in the US economy, and I think the Fed will obviously have to take that into account when it sets its rates. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. And resilience, which is what this sort of represented, is a word that we hear mentioned a lot among companies as well, something that everybody's striving for, and this is sort of demonstrating. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off I guess for for many companies, but it, you know I don't think anyone feels uh, feels really relaxed at this point. Mm. Well, what I found interesting was a large part of that unemployment growth was actually down to people coming back into the job yeah, market. Right. So, after you know the COVID lull, is it now time where people have been bored of their long holiday and they're deciding they want to work again? Well, I think I think that's probably true. I mean, a lot of people you know, relied on their savings and and the, and the government handouts. Those are coming to an end. Um, and there's been a push to get people back into the offices again. So there's that growth in that service-related sectors are coming through again. Yeah, we're doing a session later this month on managing the return to work. This is, this is for Asia. And it's a little surprising, especially given in some places in Asia, including in Hong Kong, it's not so comfortable for many people to work at home. But still, many are still staying away from the office for many, at least multinational companies, I think beyond what they thought. And then they're reconsidering how, how how people should be in the office, how many people need to be, uh, can we make adjustments, do we have to make adjustments, and this is very much still in flux, maybe a little beyond what we thought it would be. All right, let's move on, um, and let's discuss India, because I was saying I don't think we discussed that enough, but we're seeing increasing number of foreign investors going into the market. Foxconn are building their new factory in the country, as we discussed earlier. Um, what has actually changed in India over the last couple of years that where it used to be a state that people or a country that people largely avoided and now suddenly we're seeing huge amounts of foreign investment going in? I think you've seen a change in the uh, a key thing has been the, the change in the employment law in some of the states there that allows the uh, international manufacturers to run proper shift working, which was restricted before. Um, and you've seen you know, an element of people you know, rotating out of China and finding that you know, India provides a good opportunity. I think China's the key because you hear about China plus one and plus two. India's reached the top of the charts for that for many companies. Not perfect. And you, you probably just saw the, the May S&P uh, Purchasing Managers Index, highest level since October 2020. Stronger increases in production, employment, purchases and so on. This is a goal. It's been a goal of the Modi administration and past administrations before. They're not there yet. It still could be a very confusing place, different regulations in different states, uh, lack of consistency, infrastructure still needs a lot of work. The ecosystem is still not what China is for many companies, but at the same time, it's becoming more attractive. And I think we'll see increased investment uh, going forward. I think that's the key. I mean, the, the government has, and the previous government did, you know, focus on, on improving the infrastructure. And, and uh, you know, that is what business requires. Yeah, and I think also on the consumer level, we're seeing Apple deciding that they're going to open up a number of retail stores over there. I mean, they're not shifting away per se from China as well, because they did mention in their report over the weekend they will be opening more stores in China too. But I think you're seeing it across the board. It's not just the manufacturing thing. There is also the retail side. Well, I think the other thing is that you know a lot of these companies in China, especially because of the, the, the policy decisions over COVID and other things, have are looking far more at China, you know, production in China just for domestic consumption in China, rather than it necessarily being an export hub for the world. 
Yeah, this is part of what I I call long COVID, <laughs> which is which is the not the non medical part of of COVID. There's still an overhang, and it's affecting businesses, affecting attitudes in China. India had a tremendous COVID problem, but they in the end it looked like they were going to be overwhelmed, but they seemed to manage it reasonably well and i guess you know there's maybe more confidence in that sense so you know that's one of the one of the factors that i guess companies and others figure in well since we shifted over to covid in china um how much do you think hong kong is suffering from the fact that we've had this issue in china and the large underperformance over the last few years has it been attributed purely to long covid or are there other factors in play in, in this as well I think you've seen a, a general migration of a lot of companies that they had to, if they wanted to travel, Hong Kong as a hub just was impractical because of the uh, the quarantine restrictions. And, and that's also meant that, you know, flights have been restricted and it will take a long time for that to come back. Um, and, and companies are aware of that. So there's no rush to come back to Hong Kong. Um, it's going to take us years to prove the necessity of it. And increasingly with uh, restrictions in China and, and closing down of consultancies and making you know, the business environment more difficult, you know, that's, that's open to question. Yeah, it, th- there are worries. M- many companies left, individuals left, or at least part of, part of their, their staff left. Uh, obviously, in some cases, spouses moved back to wherever they came from, which made it, made it difficult. Some of that will come back, but I think in a, in, in a different way. And, uh, you know, and there are a couple companies that are setting up regional headquarters in Hong Kong, moving them from elsewhere. But much of the direction even still is going in, in, away from Hong Kong. And I think Hong Kong has to reconsider where its strengths are, financial services for sure, but other areas as well. So those couple that are coming in as regional headquarters, are they anomaly or do you think over time people will start re- returning? Time will tell, but in one, one case, it's it's a major it's a major company that's the leader in its in its in its sector, not not only in China but in the rest of the region, and was in Hong Kong 25 years ago, and now it's come back. Okay, we've got about a minute and a half left. Um, what are we looking for this week? Why don't we start with you, Andrew? What, what's what's on your agenda? Well, I think we've got you know interest rate decisions from the RBA and and the Bank of India as well, so that'll be key. Um, we've got trade details out of China and, and obviously um, wage details out of Japan and the, the, the BOJ has mentioned in the past that, that that's an important factor as far as its consideration on changing policy. It's not only that that area for Japan but I think Japan's become very interesting in the sense that it's doing better than uh, than many people expected and at the same time going forward they're getting some manufacturing in japan as well and uh and now trying to manage obvious demographics and other ways and the government because she did the government seems slightly more secure than they did before nobody's ever secure in japan but slightly more secure which might give them some uh some ability to to look to make some uh, decisions that maybe they wouldn't have thought of before including wages which has always been a big issue in japan and now they finally seem to be going up a little bit the market's at 33 year highs so, yeah so pretty amazing all right well thank you very much this, uh, for coming through this morning um that was mark Mickelson and andrew sullivan so thank you for your time <laughs>